This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Greg and I today for this special episode of The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we try to unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing designs and work together to create design that is profitable. I'm Alan from Pixel Partners HQ, and here is my co-host, Greg, from Studio One Design. Hey, Al. How are you, buddy? I'm awesome, mate. I'm awesome. I'm excited for this episode, we have somebody in the wings. Do you want to tell us about it? Oh, we do, mate. We normally say, you know, what you've been up to, what I've been up to, but that's boring compared to what we've got coming up. So today, our very special guest is Pep Leia. Okay, Pep Leia is voted number one for the most influential conversion optimization expert in the world and has a no BS approach with telling people like it is when it comes to improving their websites. Pep is the founder of CXL, one of the world's leading conversion optimization agencies and is the home of the world's leading conversion optimization blog that has over 100,000 subscribers, okay? CXL also runs two live events each year, Elite Camp in Estonia and CXL Live, a three-day growth and conversion optimization event. And the next one is actually going to be held in Austin, Texas on March the 28th to 30th. 2018. Pep is also a sought-after speaker and runs his business from Texas with his team in multiple countries, plus Pep has a young family. We're lucky to have Pep Liar on The Real Magic Podcast. So welcome, Pep. It's great to have you here. Thanks for inviting. It's a pleasure. So Pep, how do you juggle all these things you have going on these days, especially with a young family? Difficult question. Uh, we all uh, want to have more time for everything, so it um, comes down to prioritization. So, for me, there are three priorities in life. So there is, uh, as I say, health, wealth, and family. And I try to give ample time for everything. So I work out four times a week, and so then the question is like. Where do you steal the time? Do you steal it from work or from family? So mm. in this case, I take it from work because, uh, you know, if that helps me uh, live 10 years l- longer and be more able, you know, it's it's better investment than working. And I tend to just go home at five every day because family is important. That's awesome. So how many hours a week would you work? Not more than 40. That's yeah, fantastic. And do you work on the weekends? Rarely. I mean, sometimes depends what's going on. You know, if there's a hectic period with some product launches and stuff, uh, yes. I mean, we're all addicted to email, so I do some <laughs> of that, but but not really. I mean, it sounds like you're very aware of the fact that you've got to, you know, steal time from somewhere else when things are going on, um, which I find really interesting. It's great. Pep, seeing as we've given the listener an overview of of your business and what they offer today, would you mind just giving us a run through of the journey of where you first started in conversion optimization and how your business has evolved over the years to bring you to where you are today? Sure. I stumbled upon conversion optimization, uh, I mean, through accident, like most things in life. Uh, I was a marketing manager for a uh, real estate portal back in 2006. 
And that's when I first started doing SEO, AdWords, stuff like that. And I needed to also track conversions, you know, what, what is my AdWords ad spend doing for us? And then, you know, I was Googling around and, you know, there were people talking about conversion optimization already 11 years ago. So <laughs> that was my first, first uh, dabble. And then a year later, 2007, I started my own SEO agency. And it wasn't very hard to get websites to rank first page in 2007 if you knew you know what you were doing mm. but i did notice that even if some websites started to get a ton more traffic i'm saying you know 10x more traffic they weren't getting 10x more leads it's like what there's something more to it and then i bought these courses online back then and started to implement them and lo and behold stuff worked so that was kind of like how I got started, and uh, I was a marketing consultant, and it was just one of the many, many things I was doing. So I was going to say, I can imagine what a website looked like in 2007. You know, they were quite restricted, obviously. You know, there was internet speed issues, and, you know, mobile optimization wasn't really a huge thing back then. So was it difficult to optimize a website back then versus now? Like, can you do a lot more now? No, you would be surprised. I think the websites were already pretty sophisticated back then. I okay. mean, yes, the, the smartphone revolution hadn't happened, so it, there was just that one screen to optimize for. Yeah. So that was easier. But other than that, I mean, everything that is valid today was valid back then. Uh, I guess on average, websites were uglier. But in 2007, we thought they were not that ugly. So it's all cool. I mean, 10 years from now, we look at the websites today and they're like, oh my God. So I think it's all, all cool. I mean, the, mis the, the most common mistakes that uh, people were making back then has not changed in 10 years. Still <laughs> terrible value propositions, uh, you know, terrible attempts at generating leads. I mean, you know, the usual stuff. usual suspects yeah cool awesome Pep. all right so let's dive deeper in into how you've grown your business so would you mind sharing i don't know your marketing strategies or sales funnels or anything that mm -hmm. you have used to grow your business especially how you've grown your blog to you know over a hundred thousand subscribers yeah so i i used to i had a, a SaaS startup that failed and when that failed it failed you know many reasons and one of them being that i had no money to reach an audience and i had no audience and so i told myself that next time around i'll build an audience first and product second so i started the blog conversion excel without having anything to sell it was just a blog and it was just me writing about cro and you know things related in 2011 what what was true i mean it's true to an extent today as well it's like you need to look at the blogging landscape and see what everybody's doing and what are people not doing what what is hard and where's the opportunity so back then the opportunity was writing extremely detailed long form blog posts, you know, like 3,000 words, wow. every claim backed up by data, you know, thorough research, not just, you know, that research says, you know, people like blue more and then you don't, you know, back up your claims with anything. Yeah. So, so in 2011, hardly anyone was doing it. So that got uh, Conversion Excel 100,000 subscribers within the first year. Nowadays, this is the barrier of entry. Everybody's fucking writing those long form blog posts. Yeah. If you're not doing that, you, you, you can't even have a ticket to the playground, you know? Like today you need to go way further in, in order to get that success. So uh, so that was how 
our, our whole build business was built on inbound marketing, not knocking on doors, not doing outbound, not sending cold emails, all about blogging. And, you know, we're in the business of expertise. And how do, you, how do people know that you're an expert? Well, A, you need to write about whatever you know about so people can see that, yeah, mm-hmm. this guy knows what he's talking about. Uh, or at least, you know, that's the perception. So that, uh, having that in mind, uh, you know, we were all about content marketing. And also, of course, on the side, you do other things, you know, hit the conference speaking circuit and um, things like that. And I, even, even today, inbound is, I would say, 80% of our business. That's cool. So you provide value first. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, I mean, the buying cycles are very long. For, for this type of products because mm. they're complicated and expensive. Very nice. Look, I'd be interested to hear, I mean, it, it sounds like you've had to, you know, test a lot of things to, to get to where, to the point that you're at today. And I mean, especially if you're going to, if you're going to be a conversion optimization expert, obviously testing is a big part of it. Look, I've got a sort of double barrel question for you. You know, what's probably one or two of the the key lessons that you've learned from testing things along this journey on your own, you know, marketing and sales? And what do you think are maybe the, the most significant changes you may have made on your own website that's had a, you know a really surprising result with experimentation the key thing is that you cannot assume what will work obviously the biggest wins will come with still uh, they're still about the fundamentals like conveying value you know like you cannot, I mean, I'm still constantly surprised by how many websites you go there and they have like one vague sentence like uh, the best email marketing software and there's a sign up button. Like, do you really think anybody is going to sign up, uh, you know? So th- these kind of basics will always give you the best, uh, the best lift. So uh, let's say there's a new agency client. First thing we, th- we do is like auditor value propositions, like on all the key pages where they're asking people to take action whether it's capturing emails, signing up for something, whatever. And this is like n- number one place to get wins. Just be articulate, specific about conveying the value that you offer. Like why should anybody take action? That's the number one uh, consistent winner. Other than that, I mean, experimentation is all about uh, the work that goes on before you run an experiment, which is figure out what the problems are, uh, where people get stuck, because then you actually know what to solve with your experiments. Because every experiment is supposed to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't understand the problem, you end up uh, testing silly shit that makes no difference. Like button color. <laughs> like button color, yeah. And as, as for surprising stuff, I don't know. It's not that surprising for me anymore. But man, pop-ups. A website with pop-ups and a website without pop-ups. It's we're talking like thousand percent difference in terms of email leads. There's no question about it. This is ridiculous. Uh, if you want to intentionally slow down your business, uh, you know, hundred x, don't use pop-ups. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's re- that's really interesting, you know, because I think people get a little fixated on things that they like and they don't like, and they they don't think about well, what's the actual impact on conversion. I mean, it sounds to me like what you're saying is that there's 
not necessarily one thing that you might test or change that made a significant difference. I suppose you're talking about pop-ups there saying, you know, a thousand X difference, but it is about assessing the message that you're trying to get across, make sure it's clearly conveyed and then testing small elements consistently until you've got the best possible optimization. W- would that be sort of right? It's not, not necessarily a, a magic bullet. Somebody doesn't come in and go, well, there's the one thing you need to change. It would be a series of, of processes to get to that point. Uh, you're right. And it really depends where somebody's at. So like if if it's a very amateurish, ugly website from 2007 i mean it's probably easy to be able to list five five things to change that will have an immediate impact but if it's a if it's a highly optimized website you know if, if you want to look at the category that's highly uh, optimized like look at like travel search engines like expedia booking.com kayak these guys are running you know thousand concurrent tests every day so it's impossible for any human being to come in and say, ah, you know, this is shit, this is shit, and let's fix this. Because whatever you can think times 1,000 has been tested already. And then it's really about this really tiny changes, uh, and you need a lot of ideas. Of course, they have super high-volume websites, which most of us don't have the luxury of having, you know, millions and millions of visitors. Mm. So for the, for the rest of our uh, mere morals, we truly need to spend as much time as possible collecting data, qualitative and quantitative. So I'm talking digital analytics, heat maps, uh, user surveys, user interviews, user testing, things like this. Um, it's 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 not about this, you know. If you're fixated on tactics, tactics age very quickly. You know, like what works today does not work two years from now at all, because it's everybody starts using it and it causes tactic fatigue. You know, like it's overdone. Do you guys remember uh, these? Uh, what was it called? Welcome mats. It's a type yeah. of pop-up. Yeah. It's a full screen take full screen. as soon as yeah. you land. Yeah. yeah. I used to use those two years ago, and they converted like motherfuckers. They yeah. Twenty percent, twenty-five percent conversion is ridiculous. Now, I mean, a you get a ton more complaints compared to like typical pop-ups. I mean, I could, you know, typically ignore all the com- pop-up complaints because you know I'm just counting the money over here. Yeah. <laughs> but the conversion rates also for those tanked significantly, like because everybody started doing them. Ah, okay. Exactly. Every everybody installed it on their site, and then people were bombarded by welcome mats everywhere. So yeah, that's tactic fatigue. So got it. So I would recommend everybody stop looking at the recent tactics or or you know just don't be obsessed about tactics be obsessed about understanding problems that you have and that's of course hard work implementing a tactic takes a minute yeah okay and we'll, we'll jump into your process shortly but i just want to ask another question about pop-ups so i hate it when i go to a site and there's a, a, an entry pop you haven't even figured out what the site's all about and bang you've got an offer it's like don't do that to me so would you suggest, i mean this is just my opinion but i i'm very aware of you know not wanting to annoy my visitors so i agree pop-ups are awesome but would you say there's a right time and place for them like triggered by time on site or amount of page views or you know exit intent etc for sure because if somebody comes to the site they have some of them have a reason to be there maybe mm-hmm. they were searching for something on google landed on a blog post you know what have you so you definitely want to serve them what they came for first yeah 
And only if they've shown some engagement with the content, maybe they've scrolled down a bit, maybe they've spent some time. And of course, all those rules are not perfect because, you know, you might just uh, yeah. scroll down because like, uh, because you can't find what you're looking for. That's why you're scrolling. Yeah. Or you just, uh, the time on site is also a meaningless metric. You know, somebody might go to the bathroom or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or page views. Yeah, yeah. So all those exit intent and all those things, they're, they're not perfect, but they're definitely in your face right away. And they boost conversions. I mean, you mean the, the everything else instead of the instant? Yeah, they typically perform better. Um, yeah. The instant pop-ups, that you know, I mean, it's still better than nothing, but you can do better. Mm-hmm. I find it really interesting, um, Pep, that you you talk about you know serve people what they want, you know, and it's it's sort of that uh, understanding that the customer is there for their own needs. The customer hasn't come to you to be sold, and I mean. I actually I had this conversation with Jason, our podcast editor. G'day, Jason from Sonic Podcaster. And, you know, he had a situation where he was genuinely trying to help a, a customer. But what happened was he deviated too far from what the customer was actually wanting. And I was saying, you know, you need to sell the customer what they want and then deliver what they need. So you help them out later on in the process, satisfy their curiosity and, and what they're actually looking for or searching for and then help them out from there. Now, what I wanted to ask you, and I know we've sort of got stuck on this pop-ups thing, this is not related to pop-ups in specifically, but how you interrupt the flow of the customer's curiosity. So they've come to your site for a reason, they're exploring your site, and at what point do you then try and engage with them? There's a big trend here in Australia for insurance aggregation sites, I suppose, is a, is a great a simple way to, to describe it, but they're, they're a little bit like Expedia where you would, you know, go go online, you, you put in all your parameters for the type of insurance that you require, and then it will list what's available from the different insurance providers and, and you know, make a comparison, you know, have a comparison mm-hmm. site. And one of the big trends here at the moment is that, you know, during that process of putting your information in, you're required to put in a mobile number, and then within a matter of, one to five minutes, sometimes while you're still on the site putting in information, a call centre will ring you from that uh, comparison site and try and engage you on the phone. So, you know, they're they're moving from trying to just capture you as a lead and then deliver you more information to trying to, you know, sell you and close you there on, on the spot. Personally, I find it really, really infuriating. You know, I'm still in my research phase. I'm not ready to to buy. What I'm trying to get at is, you know, is there a right time to start engaging with a customer? Like, can you see in your data when you're looking at heat maps and, and you know, the, the way they travel through the site that, that there is a particular point in time where it's a, it's a great moment to start to engage, where you're not frustrating your client, but you're not leaving it too late that you, that you lose them? Uh, there probably is a time that's better than some other time. But there is no other way to find it besides experimentation. Now, when you talk about these insurance leads, probably why they're doing it is because it works. Uh, insurance, high LTV customer, right? They spend a bunch of money over the lifetime. Because so, calling people is expensive. It's you know, cost-wise for the company. You know, you don't call when you're selling $2 uh, items, you know, knickknacks. So they're, they're expecting to make thousands and thousands of dollars off of you. So it's worth spending that effort. 
And and of course with aggregation sites, I mean I've used them, and it's not like you get a single phone call, right? It's a, it's a race. You get seven, eight. It's, it's super annoying, but I guess it works. I mean I'm assuming they know what they're doing. I don't know. So first of all, in order to figure out the, the best time, uh, you you mentioned the customer journey that is so accurate. So first of all, you need to integrate all your data sources. Because what is happening, the old school marketing, so before the data-driven aspect of marketing, all our tools were siloed. There's Google Analytics here, and then there's email marketing data, and then we have maybe have a CRM and you know some other software data. And they're all, all these data points are sitting separately. We don't have a unified view of this customer came, visited these five pages on a website, downloaded this PDF, put in their email address, you know, and then took these actions over the next two months or whatever, like, and then you uh, received newsletters from you, click this one, didn't open that one, you know, like all that info should be in one place, mm -hmm. everything a user can do. And based on that, you, you can start seeing trends. But first of all, you need to, what's the word, de-silify your data. Uh, of course, if you're a big company, you have data warehouses for that. If you're a smaller company, a uh, really cool um, tool for that that will pull data from different sources and put it together uh, is HAL, HAL.io. We're using it. So that's something you can do on that. We'll start, that will help you get a better understanding of your full customer journey. But it will not tell you like, yeah, best time to call them is Wednesday, 2 p.m. You know, this is all experimentation. So how, you know, we, you guys know all about growth hacking, growth marketing, mm. growth processes. So the fundamental aspect of any growth program in a company is that you run growth experiments. So, you know, in a growth program, you, you identify your metric. Typically, this uh, number one metric is, you know, uh, acquiring more customers. Two is uh, retention and three is increasing average order value. So, and how to move all those uh, metrics, how to move, move the needle, we don't know. We need to run experiments. And, and so this get, when to get, uh, get, get in touch with the customer, you just need to run experiments and see what works. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what was that website that you were saying? Because I think that's really interesting to you know to bring all your data to one place so you can actually get a high level view of the of the the journey. Uh, I'm using Hull H U L L dot I O. I mean, it's not the only game in town, but this is one that I can recommend because uh, first hand experience. Yeah, excellent. Cool. Thanks. And good for small business. Good. Most of your clients are, are larger businesses, aren't they? So yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is affordable. This is, I think, starting from four hundred bucks a month. I mean, it's not nothing. But still, any decent business that uses like you know Infusionsoft or whatever, we're used to paying those type of figures. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta spend money to make money. There's yeah. No way around. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thanks for that. I'm going to definitely look into that. That's cool. All right, use Hotjar as well, which is an amazing tool. I know you, you know you're a fan of that as well. Mm -hmm. But all right, well, that's great. Thanks for that tip. So, Pep, yeah, we had a listener reach out to us named Mendy. G'day, Mendy. Uh, and he asked, you know, who do we follow for conversion optimization? Of course, I told him that we follow you, and uh, you know, sent him to your blog and all that sort of good stuff. So anyway, we just thought, you know, we'd get you on to you know learn or for you to describe because we're not experts in conversion optimization for you to describe the process of what you go through for you know when you take on a new client and obviously you deal with you know large agencies so yeah i just want to know roughly you know what the process is and and yeah if you could just sort of um you know 
don't know, let us know, you know how you make websites more awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, one is experience. Experience helps a big, uh, big deal. It's mm-hmm. a big deal. Um, well, if you don't have experience, then you can do research. So knowing what to change is, as I mentioned earlier, all knowing about what the problem is. So, I mean, I don't have the time here to go into all the nitty-gritty. I I definitely recommend that the listener will Google Research XL Framework, which is, you will find a lengthy blog post about how it all goes down. But essentially... Essentially, you need to figure out a what is happening on your website and what is not happening. What what are people doing, not doing, and that means that every single thing a user can do on your website should be recorded in you know Google Analytics or whatever you use. Uh, where in the flow towards the final action, like purchase or sign up, where are people getting stuck? Where are they dropping out? And which segments, like maybe some traffic um, sources behave differently, uh, devices obviously, and things like that. Uh, so, but all the analytics stuff will tell you, you know, what is happening, where, how much, like why something is happening. You need to bring in the qualitative side. You mentioned Hotjar. So, if you have an underperforming page, you know, Hotjar has session replays, so you can watch videos of people using that page. Mm. Might give you interesting insights. Uh, I have some good stories around that. Could you share one? Because yeah, I love that tool. I discover something new every time I watch videos, and I, I religiously do it once a week. Yeah, it's uh, the problem with the session replays is that you know the tool records hundreds, thousands of them. So which yeah. one do you you know? It can be a time suck. So the yeah. tools are also starting to get better about telling you that there's some you know basically identifying videos for you that might be interesting to watch that something out of out of the ordinary is going on like there's a there's a one tool um it's um it's called um um, oh man (laughs) Uh, alternative to usertesting.com uh stick their competitor yeah so anyway so anyways that tool has also session replays and has this Markers or like that pre-identify like things like click rate, just like customers like clicking seventeen times on a button that is not a button, you know, <laughs> or frantic scrolling, you know, scrolling up and down, like what is going on there, or like these different things that people can do. So once you watch these videos, Quora, uh, it's no, um, no, okay, cool. We can we can look it up after the the recording okay. after the episode, and what we'll do is we'll put it in the show notes for the for the listener just to. Help them out because I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is we're now starting to talk about, you know, data and metrics and, and, and things like that. And look, you know, from my experience, having, you know, had my own marketing agency and see and, you know, giving some of these tools and some of this data to clients to have a look at, there is such a thing as analysis paralysis. And you know, misunderstanding the data or taking improper improper action. So I guess, you know, maybe you can give us a glimpse on, uh, you know, how much time, and again, this is thinking about small business owners. Most of our listeners uh, are either designers or small business owners running their own businesses in small to medium size organizations, right? How much time should a business spend, you know, maybe on a weekly or monthly basis reviewing and studying their metrics? And 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 
look, I know your answer today might be a little bit vague, and I, I think that with machine learning, more of these applications will take the data and do part of the 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 interpolation process for us and find those anomalies and highlight them. But for now, we have to look for them, right? So how much time should we be spending? And I know you mentioned before about sort of uh, key outcomes, but are there sort of key things that you want to look at within your metrics? Maybe one or two that a small business owner might be able to look at and say, well, if I keep an eye on this, I'll be able to help improve my, my conversion. Yeah, uh, you bring out a good point. And the analysis paralysis is usually because, well, A, well, frankly, you don't know what, what the hell you're doing. <laughs> so so it's likely that you are thinking about data all wrong. It's not about logging into Google Analytics and, oh, let's see what the data says. You know, I mean, data doesn't tell you shit. Data mm. is passive. It's just there, right? So and why, why is the data there? On what kind of data is there? And not just analytics data, but also survey data or whatever other type of data. So forget all the tools. Forget all the tools and first take up, uh, open up like your Google Docs file and with your team and start brainstorming business questions. Basically, what is it that we want to know? Like really, like forget about tools. Mm. So like, okay, so hmm. Okay, I want to know when people come to my website, what do they want? Oh, that's a good one. Okay, next. Uh, I want to know when they see our value proposition offer, what do they think? Uh-huh. Okay, which other offers have they checked out? How does ours compare? And so on and so on. And you brainstorm this big list of questions. Usually when I go through this exercise with a client, we end up with 100 plus questions. Wow. Like, wow, if people are looking at this product pages... Are they now more likely to, you know, buy these other products? Or, you know, like you can go really in really super detail, uh, high, high, you know, zoom in level with all these questions. Mm. Uh, if uh, if I have an FAQ page on my website, are the people on the once they visit it, are they more likely to buy, less likely to buy, or no difference, and so on. So, and once you have those 100, 200 questions written down, now the the goal of the data is only one: is to answer questions. Now we say, okay, what kind of data do we need to help us figure out an answer to these questions? Okay, so, you know, and so some of these you can answer with Google Analytics only if you measure stuff because 90% of small business owners maybe, maybe have configured a goal. Events and stuff, usually people don't know what they're, what they're doing. So, with Google Analytics you can measure amazing things, every little thing, interaction with anything should be measured. So so with your with the questions you figure out what can we answer with digital analytics. Some things well, an, analytics will answer what to wear how much but the why part why people are doing it or what are people thinking about it. This is all qualitative talking to your customers. I had an e-commerce client they had a checkout flow on the cart page massive drop off like 70% of people dropped off. Usually in e-commerce card pages, like 50% move to the checkout phase. Here, only 30%. So massive, massive drop. Why? We're looking at this page, looking at analytics, cannot figure it out. So we put a poll using Hotjar on that page, asking them if they've been on the page maybe 10 seconds or more, what's holding you back from completing the purchase right now? So we set up a poll. Usually you get a 2 to 4% response rate on that poll. You need to wait until you know, 100 or you know, ideally 200 responses. 
Uh, so if you're a low traffic site, it might take a while. But so you you need a you know a significant amount of responses to know which responses are to see trends essentially. Because you know if you only have two responses, you don't know which one is an outlier. Mm-hmm. And then we ran that poll. We got like maybe 150 responses, and 150 like 125 said your shipping prices are too high. It's like of course. We, we we would have never figured it out just by looking at a page. But yeah. the people told us what the problem was. And now we can figure out how to lower shipping uh, costs. Yeah, so once, once, once you know that the data is there to answer questions, you log into Google Analytics, and now you know why the data is there. It completely changes your perspective. That's fantastic. Look, I think, uh, I think to summarize that, you know, it really is about context knowing why you're doing something knowing why you're looking at the data and then looking for the answer to that problem i I really really like that now look let's just switch over to i mean we kind of started talking about losing people on a checkout there so let's switch over to sort of on page conversion boosting tips and one of the things that you talk about is is plugging leakage points on websites and i'm Mm -hmm. it never ceases to amaze me how many websites have have the opportunity for their customers to leave the site? Right? Can you give us some examples, or, or maybe a, a you know a case study of of where leakage point, or what what type of leakage points you might have, and where plugging those has had you know a, a good result for for customers? Mm-hmm. Well, leaks are unavoidable. Every website is leaking money, so that's it's just the name of the game. So. A, you, you know, and uh, we're talking, you have funnels, you know, like if it's e-commerce, it's pretty easy. You know, you have, you have your, uh, where people can land, so that's your home category, product pages, they land, you know, through SEO, pay-per-click or whatever. And then they add something to the cart, that's a step. Then they're on the cart page, that's a step. And then you have one or many checkout steps. And bear in mind, there is no perfect amount of checkout steps. Sometimes nine is best, sometimes one is best. Uh, there's there's no uh, rule here. And so then, A, you want to start with the biggest leak. So wh- where are people getting stuck? Where is the flow not moving towards the final transaction? You know, And, and e-commerce is an easy example because it's transactional. It's, it's more complicated with some other sites like in SaaS. When it's usually you know you have a features or pricing page and the sign up button everywhere, there's mm-hmm. like less less of a funnel. Uh, it, it's more tricky there. Uh, it's um, usually more copy heavy. Uh, so in, essentially, you want to figure out where in those steps the biggest portion of your users is dropping out, and then why is that? Uh, and then qualitative research again is uh, is key to figure out you know what's holding people back. Of course, you know. Uh, you can also sometimes just look at the page and think about it because uh, behavioral design, behavioral design, you know, in order for desired action to happen, two things need to converge. They need to have high motivation, like I want to do this, and B, peak ability. So it's easy to do it. So the, the most obvious things to do is at every step you assess how can we make it easier for the user to complete action on this particular screen? You know, maybe we can reduce the page Length, typically very helpful. The shorter the page, the better. Uh, how can we get rid of half the things on the page? Typically, again, super helpful to mm. cut noise, uh, reduce distraction, things like this. And then, but motivation is much, much stronger than reducing friction. So what can we do to increase 
use a motivation to take action. You know, if you've if you booked a, a hotel or something through Booking.com, you know, they have all kinds of psychological triggers there. You know, 17 guys looking at the same hotel right now, and yeah. two left, last booking was two minutes ago. Like, all these things are there to increase your motivation to take action right now. Mm. And, of course, there's there's intrinsic motivation, like, do I actually need the hotel room? Because if I don't need it, no, no, no persuasion tactic is going to work. Yeah. And also, if it's a complicated product, or maybe it's a SaaS tool, uh, effectively communicating the benefits of using it and then how it is different from all the other tools out there. So that's kind of like how I would go about it. Ah, they're absolutely awesome, all of those tips. I'm going to listen to that again because you've just shared some absolute gold in every one of those tips there. So listener, go back and listen to that again because, yes, killer. So, okay, Pep, and I see a lot of people, okay, they think that their competitor or somebody else has worked out exactly what to do. So you see people copying websites, and I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's uh, you can do it in some cases where it's a site that is selling to the same group of people, same type of product that you have. If you have this, if you're solving the same problem, mm-hmm. so again, it, it all starts with you identifying what is the problem on my site. Ooh, or maybe it's like you have high friction on your cart page and, and so on, and then you see a really nice cart page that seems to solve that problem. So for inspiration, to open your mind, that is like the only use case. But typically, you, you know, A, you don't want to copy anything blindly because A, you don't, you, don't, you don't know if it's working for them. And B, you know, uh, the context might be different. I mean, look at Amazon, right? Amazon's doing fine, amazing amount of money they make. <laughs> uh, Am- the conversion rate for Amazon Prime is 74% e-commerce conversion rate. So. Wow. If, if your conversion rate is 5% for e- your e-commerce site, also good, but that's still a 15 times difference. So now ask yourself, is the design of Amazon 15 times better than yours? Or is their copy 15 times better? Uh, no, it's not, right? Uh, it's it's hmm. not like it's the most beautiful website or, or, or what have you. So the, the success of Amazon is all these other things uh not the the cosmetical things like uh design and copy so if it just if it would just copy amazon's design and think that oh now i'm gonna also make billions of dollars i mean you're naive yeah doesn't work doesn't work like like this so yeah uh, only look at competitors for inspiration for how you could solve your problems because if you look at somebody let's say somebody tested something and it worked for them what is an a b test an a b test is a solution or testing a solution to a problem. And if the test was a winning test, so it's somebody else's solution to somebody else's problem. Like, you might not have the same problem. And if your people are different, that solution that worked for them might not work for you. Again, it might, uh, I mean, we don't know. (laughs) It might work for you. But again, just hold your horses. Don't copy anything blindly. Yeah, people think they can just copy Apple because Apple, you know, obviously makes a billion dollars. And so they think they'll just copy their website, but they don't understand that, you know. Yeah, and, you know, Apple guys, they, they came to the, our um, optimization conference, CXL Live, yeah. uh, last year. And I was talking to them, and they cannot test anything on their website. So the, mo- quote-unquote, most innovative company in the world is not allowed to test it's one of those companies where a designer ate mushrooms, had a vision, yeah. built this design website, and nobody can touch it. It's the holy cow, <laughs> you know. 
Yeah, Steve Jobs was very uh, adamant before he passed away that, you know, the, the website, he didn't want landing pages and, you know, split tests, you know, here's what we have, we're great at our product and we're just going to showcase that, you know. But then the yeah. Apple brand... The Apple brand has other significant benefits going for it. So Exactly. Yeah, Greg's right. You just can't copy the look and feel because they're successful and expect to be successful, which Mm -hmm. leads me to a really interesting question, right? We've just talked about, you know, Amazon and we've talked about Apple. And, you know, when you look at those two sites, the quality of the visual design in both those sites is very very different you know you see sites like ebay amazon craigslist i mean we talked about bookings.com and really when you look at them they're not exactly beautiful sites they're not you know there's there's not a lot of effort put into it to make it uh, sexy or, or trendy or for lack of a better word you know beautiful or pretty yet you know when greg's dealing with web design on a regular basis people are so worried about it looking beautiful now does this is again a double barrel question does an ugly website convert better than a beautiful website and and you know ugly doesn't mean badly designed it means maybe that there's a different structure it's it's designed with conversion in mind less than with aesthetic pleasure in mind does does Mm -hmm. that make sense i know that was a bit confusing sure i mean if your standard of ugly is amazon (laughs) then um then you well typically good design is better than bad design but what is good design of course is up to debate amazon is not ugly it's good enough right there are websites you know you've seen those uh, long-form sales pages with you know like like how to get six pack abs in like thirty days, and you know all this cheesy, you know, yeah. cheesy photography, and then 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 this like bare bones, like basically no design, just text, uh, seven miles of text. So that's an ugly site. Yeah, and we we get asked to re- revise them all the time, and it seems to be that the the idea was that those ugly sites converted better than a good looking site. But I would argue, oh yeah, but if only the, I mean we. These long-form sales pages used to be our bread and butter when right. we started our agency. We used to improve conversions on those left and right like 30% overnight oh, wow. by just making them look good. Ah, I love it. That's good to hear. I mean, of course, they are copy-heavy, so yeah. copy is more important than design. Couldn't so, agree more. But like back to the topic. So, and again, so what is good design? Good design is not the latest trends, like ghost buttons. You know, it's a button we want people to click, but we make it less visible. Yeah. Not a good idea. Or video backgrounds. You know, like every cool site has to have one of those now. No, come on. It's it's a distraction. Our brain reacts to movement on a website. Yeah. So whenever stuff is moving, we stop paying attention to the value proposition, to understanding how this problem product will help us, how this is different from all the other products out there, and so on. So... I've never in my history of uh, of uh, optimization seen a, a video background be better than nothing at all, uh, or or you know the biggest problem of the uh, the internet since like 2011 is sliders, the automatic uh, uh, <laughs> image sliders, uh, carousels. Yeah. Oh my God! So just, yeah. If you want to make more money, just take one off your website <laughs> today. So. And some people love it because it's like it's the oh, new shiny thing. Some, you know, so it. many clients, so they want the new shiny thing. So the only way to pr- change their mind is by showing them the data. And mm-hmm. so like, 
let's run an experiment. That's what I, I just I just point them to your blog and go get rid of it. Here's why. <laughs> but Google conducted this big ass study on what makes people like a website. I don't know if you guys seen it. Uh, so basically, they figured out that it's two things. It's two factors that contribute to people liking or not liking a website. One is prototypicality. Does it look like all these other websites I'm used to seeing? Because, you know, most, where do people spend most of their time? On other people's websites. So you cannot, cannot have a completely radically new type of layout or mm-hmm. like, oh, my menu is going to be so rad, I'm going to put it in the footer and you know, like yeah. places where people don't know where to look. Like, that's a bad idea. People don't like it. So you want to be conventional in terms of what goes where and what a typical website looks like. And of course, there are these trends, you know, what a typical website is like today is different from 2010, 2005, and, you know, and so on. There's the zeitgeist. Uh, so that's one. And, and the se- second type, second factor is then visual complexity. How much shit is on a page? The, the, the less stuff there is, the more people like it. You know, lots of white space, clean, you know, you know the type. Yeah, yeah. So, so people like, t- tend to like those type of uh, uh, websites better. And if they like it better, they'll spend more time hanging out on that website. And, and, and clean, uh, simple website does not mean that it, it needs to be Apple style, just fancy slogans. No, you still need to have copy mm-hmm. that actually explains what the hell is going on here. Uh, there's no, no way around. In, in the copy versus design or design real estate wars in terms of getting conversions, I say copy is more important always. And copy designs the role of design, in my personal opinion, the, de- the role of design is to deliver the message. Like we have the message first. And so many people do it backwards. They first build the wireframes and design the websites. And then, oh, so here we have space for 200 words. What should we put there? Mm, you know? Yeah. That's doing it backwards. That's doing it wrong. So the, what the, the tool that the designer should work with is that you get all the copy up front. And now I'm going to think, what should the design be so that we are most effective at delivering the message? You know, that. That's how high converting websites come come to existence. I yeah, I couldn't agree more. And look, we're just about to design redesign our site and I've started with the copy as well. So yeah, it's definitely the way to go. And look, we you know, we've had a world class copywriter kevin rogers on our show and it was basically that that argument you know design versus copy and we were all in the agreement that the copy is far more more important and the design needs to enhance the copy and never ruin the flow so that's a killer tip thank you i'm glad we agree on that so pep so we're going to let you go and we really appreciate your time just one more self-indulgent question so how important is it to hire an expert designer versus hiring a cheap designer (laughs) i mean that's that's like everything in life man it's like cheap mechanic your your cousin joe can fix your car or you take it to somebody who knows what they're doing Uh, who would you rather have conducting a a surgery on your child the cheap guy uh you know next door or people who've like done this for a while you know so always go 
Always go for the expert. Always pay more money. I love hearing that. Thank you. All right, Pep. Well, look, it's been awesome having you here. You've shared some incredible knowledge. So we absolutely appreciate it. And listener, definitely, I'm going to listen to this episode a few times, and you should too. So, yeah, it's it's cool to have you. And before we say goodbye, do you have just one more piece of advice or a killer tip for a small business owner that want to get a better result out of their business or their website? You don't know what works. Run an experiment. That, that's it. We don't know what we don't know. Thank you, Pep, for joining us. Listener, if you want to learn more about CRO, head over to Pep's website, conversionxl.com. Yeah, Pep, how, how else would you recommend people learn more about what you do? Uh, that's it. Or I'm also on Twitter at uh, Pep Lair. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much, Pep, for coming on to The Real Magic Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.